Let's stand up and take our Bibles this morning, Hebrews chapter 12. You might be, this might be the first time in a church like this, and we just want you to know we, we welcome you, and uh, we are glad you're here this morning, and I want you to make a few friends today, and I want to be your friend, and uh, most importantly, God wants to be your friend, amen? And God wants you to just enjoy this service and be blessed today, and uh, we're in a passage of scripture that is, uh, is about a race. From Lisa Felder, Lisa, would you raise your hand? Don't go sitting on me. Lisa, raise your hand. Now, Lisa is a professional trainer. She trains people how to run, and she trains our chief of police and a number of other people like that. Now, I'm not trying to promote her business here for a minute, but if you can go to her, that's fine, okay? That's good. She'll do you well, but uh, we're going to talk about a race, and so if I say something wrong about running, she will correct that after church, okay? Not during church. So uh, I want to make sure we get that right here today, and uh, we, we want you just to enjoy the service this morning. It's on a series, new series we're starting, actually started two weeks ago, that I pray will be a blessing to you on, a, on two words that, are, that really speak out to our hearts, and I'll, I'll challenge you to go home and study this a little bit on your own. Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. These are three short verses. I'm going to ask all of us to read together. Now look around you. Somebody around you, uh, they don't have a Bible, and they just kind of feel like, man, I feel like I need a Bible. I want you to share your Bible with them. And somebody around you looks like they just need some help. Like this corner over here, I don't know what you guys are talking about. It must be pretty good because I want to get in on your joke back over there, okay, whatever's going on. But you guys need to read loud. I want to listen to you guys read loud over in that corner there. I'm going to be looking at you today, okay? Hebrews chapter 12. How many understand what I'm saying today? Let's read the Bible, Amen. We're going to have a good time. And you say, man, you wired up this morning. I am. And not because I got an extra hour of sleep. How many of you enjoyed having an extra hour of sleep? How many had an extra hour of sleep? I don't like you. Because I woke up the same time. I didn't get the extra hour of sleep. I'm not grumpy. I just don't like you, okay? I mean, that's just not fair. That's not right, okay? I, I preached at this men's conference, and they got my room all mixed up on Friday. I was telling Justin about it. got my room all mixed up, and so, I, you know, I, they told me I was supposed to sharing, share a room. And i just tell you, when I was 20 years old, I'd share a room with another man. But I'm married. I only share a room with my wife, amen? And so it was supposed to be another preacher, and uh, it just, anyway, it didn't happen. But anyway, they told me I was going to do this, so I sent a message to the preacher. And I didn't find this out like 10 o'clock at night. So I, uh, I sent a message, hey, so I'll take, I'll, it was a suite, and I said, look, I'll sleep on the pull-out bed on the, on the living room, whatever, you go take the bedroom, whatever, like that. And I got inside the room at 10.30, he wasn't there, and I said, I bet he was like me, he probably got another room somewhere else. He never showed up, but I expect him to show up, so you know what I did? I, I, uh, I ran and used the restroom, showered down everything, and I went back to the couch, and I, I was laying on the couch without a blanket all night. And uh, basically, I didn't sleep at all. I didn't sleep all of Friday. So Friday night, got to Saturday. And then they had me preaching three consecutive times yesterday, 8.45, 9.45, 10.45. I understand if you do that to me, I'm pretty wired after that. Amen, you know? And so that, that was kind of just so, so I was trying to unwind yesterday afternoon after I got back home from Sacramento. We had two events to go to. I couldn't unwind. And finally last night, I think I, I conked out by about 11.30 or so. Then I was back up like at 3 or 3.30. I said, okay, I'm just going to get up and get back to work and do some things here. So if you're enjoying your sleep that you had, God bless you. But if you fall asleep because you had extra sleep last night, I'm going to be mad at you this morning, okay? So don't do that either, okay? Hebrews chapter 12, let's read it together. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice verse 3. Let's read very clearly and loudly. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, 
lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Now, you know how I do this, and I'm going to ask you to get a pen out if you have, or a highlighter, or maybe mark this down mentally. I want you to underline a few, a few phrases this morning. Number one, I want you to underline that phrase, so great a cloud of witnesses. That's our text this morning. So great a cloud of witnesses, okay? Then I want you to underline the phrase, let us lay aside every weight. Then I want you to underline the phrase, let us run with patience. Then I want you to underline the phrase, looking unto Jesus. I want you to underline the phrase in verse 2, the joy that was set before him. Verse 3, I want you to underline the phrase, consider him. And this morning, let's get our hearts ready as we get into the Word of God. Father, bless our time together. It's so exciting to be in the house of the living God. Thank you for this wonderful congregation. People that have very close friendships and families that are here. Some who have just been introduced for the very first time to Heritage Baptist Church. Father, I pray that you would just lavish our hearts with your love. Father, I pray that, God, you'd bathe us in the challenge of this passage of Scripture. Father, I pray that you occupy our hearts and our thoughts. When we leave today, we'll say, Lord, you spoke to me. You told me some things I need to do and help us to be obedient to you. We pray that the Holy Spirit would not be hindered or resisted, quenched or grieved in this service. And we pray that there would be the opportunity for the Spirit of God to reprove of sin, righteousness, and judgment be real this morning. We ask that you sanctify us through thy truth because thy word is truth. We ask this morning that you draw us to that place of decision, that we'd have open ears and open hearts to heed the word of God. Heal wounded lives, touch broken hearts, revive those who need reviving, move us out of the place of complacency and indifference, and help us to do like Paul said here, to run with patience the race that is set before us. And Father, we'll give you the praise and glory and thanks for what you'll do in our lives. And all of God's people say, Amen. You may be seated. We're starting a series, or second time we're in a series for the remainder of the year, entitled, So Great. The phrase, So Great, is found several times in the Old and New Testament. We began on Friend Day by looking at Hebrews 2.3, how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? This morning we're looking at a wonderful passage of scripture that we have visited many times entitled, So Great a Cloud of Witnesses. Next week, Lord willing, we'll be looking in Exodus chapter 32 where the description God says to Moses about a people and so great a sin. Later on, we'll be looking at phrases like so great a people and so great a congregation and so great a faith. And we'll probably close it off by looking at so great a God. I mean, this is just a wonderful, wonderful study that you can do. And uh, one of the things I'd encourage you to do if you don't have is you need to get a concordance. And with a concordance, it, does, it helps you to do a word study of the Bible. You take your Bible, and sometimes you'll find words that are recurring many, many times in the Bible. And you take a concordance, it'll help you to study those words. And that will help you to do cross-references and checks. And whatever difficulty you're having in understanding the Bible, the concordance is a good starting point to help you understand how to read the Bible and to see where different phrases are used. Now, the phrase so great is something that we commonly use in our English language. It means something that is very big. 
something of, of great magnitude. So, for instance, a climber going up to Mount Everest, when he gets to the top, which is a very arduous task, he'll say, wow, this is so great to have made it all the way to the top of Mount Everest. Or someone who goes on vacation decides they're going to go see the Grand Canyon. And if you see the Grand Canyon, you see that panoramic view, that wonderfulness of creation, you can't help but say, man, this is so great. Or perhaps if you've been out on the water somewhere and you look at the vastness of the ocean water and you're just amazed by the vastness of the ocean and the ocean life, you say this is so great. Or perhaps, as we will probably say next Sunday at the conclusion of the Thanksgiving banquet, we'll just say this is so great. So great is just an adjective, a descriptive term we use to describe something that's of great magnitude, something very impressive, something that touches our life, something that's beyond our imagination, something that goes way beyond things that have happened. Sometimes people who haven't been to Heritage Baptist Church in a number of years, or perhaps they've this is their first time here. They come on this property. They drive by it on the street on Wicks or Merced. And they get on the campus and they see the buildings, which for some of you knew, were this building where you're in, this used to be an old field and just a barren field that we had here. And then and the, the courtyard used to be just our visitor parking lot as far in our Berean Center next door. That's our, used to be our Berean parking lot. And on the side here used to be three little modulars that we just thought, man, we'd be in those modulars forever for, for Bible classes. And, and now to see these buildings and people come and they say, wow, this is so great great what God is doing there. And every now and then we kind of just take a step back and we think about what has God done at Heritage Baptist Church in 20 years and we can't help but conclude it's so great. And to some of you who are in the church, you can think back those, those, those baby days when you were just a new Christian and didn't understand anything and Pastor Fawn got up or maybe one of the, the men got up and said, hey, let's turn to this book in the Bible. And you would say, okay, where is that at? And you'd look at the table of contents and you didn't want to be embarrassed yourself and you're trying to find it and somebody lovingly would come along and help you find your place. And, but when you got to the place when you could find the books of the Bible, you said, man, this is so great. I finally know where the book of Habakkuk is, and I finally know where Revelation is, and I finally know where Isaiah is, and the book of Psalms, and you'll say that's so great. And sometimes you'll come to a service, and God just is working through the music and through the preaching, and you'll say it's so great. Uh, a good number of our church family was here Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday night of this past week for our fall revival meetings, and Pastor Lou Rossi was over the top. How many believe that was a great conference, amen? Well, I I went away saying, this is so great, I wish it didn't end. And I was telling Brother Rossi, I said, if you didn't have to go back and pastor your church, I would almost think if I asked the church that we were going to have protracted meetings and just continue the revival meetings another week, I think people would come because we just saw God work in our hearts. I mean, the phrase so great is something you say with a smile on your face and enthusiasm in your heart because it's something that's wonderful and great. And you notice this morning as we look at Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible talks to us about so great a cloud of witnesses. Now today, we're looking at something that centers itself on an important aspect of the Christian life. It's something that perhaps, even if you've, you've studied this passage and you've heard it preached many times, I'm going to ask you to let go of everything that you've thought about before, anything you've heard in the past, and I just want you to listen for a few minutes as God speaks to your hearts from the past of Scripture. Now I want you to notice about this phrase, so cloud of witnesses, to a greater cloud of witnesses, how it fits in with the context of this passage and and a very, very important topic that we have to look at this morning. So if you have your notes, and I want you to notice some things about this passage. We're going to build it up and get into it. And by the, end, by the time we're done in the next 35, 40 minutes, I'm praying God will have spoken to our hearts about a decision we have to make. Number one, I want you to see in this passage of Scripture that God is speaking to us about an essential priority. An essential priority. Now, we need to live our lives by priority. Priority is how we decide what I'm going to do. You know, this is number one. This is number two. Number 
number three, time management experts will teach you that if you have a, if you're, you have a difficult time of learning how to manage your time, you've got to learn how to establish priorities. You've got to know what's important. You've got to start off and checking off things. And so, for instance, you might start off on the day making a list of everything you need to do. Now, you may not get everything done, but you make a list of everything you have to do by based on priority. And what's important, you check it off. You're checking things off, and whatever you don't get done today, you, you'll roll it over to tomorrow, and you'll get it done tomorrow, and you keep making up that list. You live by priority. Thank God that there's about probably 300 people in this room. You're living by priority. You came this morning to church. How many believe church is a priority? Amen? Church is a priority. How many believe bringing a Bible to church and reading the Bible is a priority? Amen? How many of you were in an adult growth group this morning, and you knew it was a priority to come because you know that you need more of the Word of God, not less of the Word of God? Amen? So that's a priority. So there are things that are priority. We do things by priority. You know, you go home later on today, it's, it's a priority that you do certain things. And there's a priority of the Christian life. It's the starting point of the Christian life. And that priority is faith. Go back in chapter 11 and notice verse 6 with me. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews eleven six tells us about an essential priority. Now this needs to be your priority. This is, the, this is the common priority for everyone in this room. We must make this a priority. Hebrews eleven six. 6, notice what it says. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, notice as we look at this, we have to go back to chapter 12, verse 1. Keep your finger in both places. And chapter 12, verse 1 starts out by saying, wherefore seeing. Now, the word wherefore seeing is connecting chapter 12 to chapter 11. Now remember when the word of God was written and was placed on scrolls, there were no breakpoints. There were no chapters that broke things up. That was done later on. It was one continuous writing that was done for that book. And so chapter 12 is a continuation of what happened in chapter 11. All of chapter 11 is about faith. Now chapter 11, if you've never read it, I want to encourage you to make it part of your daily reading program. In fact, if you are reading the Bible, I hope that you'll make it a part of your daily reading program. When I was a young Christian just starting off, I had struggles just like many of you have. And my, one of my struggles was, what am I supposed to read? How do I prioritize? Which book of the Bible? Now, I've come to the conclusion this: anything you read in the Bible, it's all good. Amen? It'll all do you good, no matter what it may be. But you shouldn't be haphazard and sporadic about it. But I remember I picked up a booklet that, that encouraged me how to read the Bible. And this Bible, this, this, this man said, you should try, strive to read eight chapters a day of the Word of God. And I thought, well, that's a lot. And he said, well, here's how you break it up. You do four chapters in the morning and four chapters at night. Or you do two chapters here and two chapters there and two chapters there. Break up your day. Figure out what your day is like. And break it, but make a point to read eight chapters a day of the Bible. He said two of those chapters should be two chapters of the Bible that every Christian needs every morning. He says, number one, 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 deals, it's called the love chapter. It's called the agape chapter. The word agape means loving like God loves. And uh, he says, you know, you need to read that so you keep your heart soft and tender. And you remind yourself how to have good people relationships and how to love people and how to work through things. And then he said the second chapter that should be part of what you read is Hebrews chapter 11. Because he says we never have enough faith and we need more faith and we grow in faith and we need to excel in faith. And so in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, he emphasizes the importance of faith. Everything in Hebrews 11 is about faith. Maybe sometime next year I might just preach you the whole chapter on a 
Sunday morning to encourage us about it. But notice some things about this. Some people have called Hebrews chapter 11 the hall of faith. Now, sports athletes have the hall of fame. You know, you go to Canton, Ohio, and I think that's where they have the hall of fame for, I think, for, for some basketball players. And then they have it for football players in another place and baseball players in another place. They have this hall of fame where if you've attained greatness in, in playing a professional sport, they put you in the hall of fame. If you've ever toured London, England, one of the famous places you want to go to in London, England is Westminster Abbey. In Westminster Abbey, they, it's great history about great men that are there. And some have called Hebrews chapter 11 the Westminster Abbey of faith. Faith, this is a great faith chapter. Everything you want to know about faith is found in Hebrews 11. Everything that will fill in the deficiencies of faith are found in Hebrews 11. Faith is the priority of the Christian life. You want to write that down. Faith is the priority of the Christian life. Now, number one, I want, to notice what is the, I want you to notice the idea about faith. What do we mean by faith? What do we mean by faith? I read a humorous story about this lady that uh, this lady that was a nurse by profession, and uh, she was noticed her car was on, on E, and she needed to get some gas, and so she was in her she was in her, her scrubs, her garments, and all that. You, you could tell she was a healthcare worker and a nurse, if you would, of that nature. And so she pulled off to a, a gas station on the side there, and she went to the gas station attendant back in the day when they pumped the gas, and she said, "Sir, I, I need a gas can. Can I borrow a gas can? My car is down the road here, and I need to get some gas over here inside of it." And she said, "Well, listen, ma'am," he said, "I'll tell." you what, I just loaned out the last gas can. He said, I don't know how to get it to you. And he said, I realize you're down on the road there. I'm not sure how to help you. And she started thinking, she said, oh, you know what? I carry a bedpan in the back of my car because sometimes I go to people's houses. How many know what a bedpan is? Just make sure you know where I'm going. Anybody know what a bedpan is, okay? A bedpan is what they use in the hospital, okay, to help someone who can't get to the restroom on their own, okay? So she had a bedpan there. Sometimes she would have assignments where she would go make a house visit there. She said, I've got a bedpan. So she went to, she went to the car, opened the trunk, got the get bedpan out. She filled up the bedpan with enough gas so she could get into her tank and to get back to the gas station. Well, she fills up the bedpan. She goes back to her car. She walks carefully over there, not to spill it on herself, and she takes the knob off the gas cap, and she starts pouring it in. It's very obvious this is a bedpan. Two men go walking by. They see this nurse with, 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 her, with her garments on, and they see her pouring this bedpan, this contents of the bedpan into the, into, the, into the gas tank, and two of them stopped, and they were spiritual men. They were members of Heritage Baptist Church, amen? And they were men that stopped by and said, my, would you look at that? That is such great faith that she has, amen? <laughs> And I think some people look at something like that, they say, what great faith that is. I think of the story of a, of a pastor who had a woman, and every church has a, she just was a very nervous woman, and she was scared about everything. You know, the opposite of faith is fear, and sometimes you can be very, very fearful of things. And it's a good thing that, you know, that you have members in the church who sometimes are just, they're always anxious and always on nerve, and they're always wondering about this going to happen, and they're wondering the fall, the sky is going to fall out or whatever. But anyway, this lady came to the pastor, and she said, Pastor, she says, I'm so scared. Joe says he's going to kill me if I continue to come to my, your church. Joe is not saved, and Joe said he's going to kill me if I keep coming to your church. And of course, the pastor's trying to be reassuring, and he's a very calm man. He says, yes, yes, my child. He says, I just, I'll continue to pray for you. He says, but I want to tell you, have faith. The Lord will watch over you. And she said, oh, he's kept me safe so far already. But, and he said, but what? He said, my husband also said, if I keep coming to this church, he might also come and kill you. Well, the pastor thought for a minute. He said, ma'am, you know, this is a good time for you to think about that church on the other side of town. Amen? And I think sometimes we think about faith. We know how to talk about faith theoretically, but we need to experience faith personally. 
We need to exercise faith. We need to work out our faith, the Bible says. The Bible says faith without works is dead. And so you notice something here that we must understand today that there must be the working faith. Now, faith is what we believe in. I believe that God is the creator of all the world. I believe that God is from everlasting to everlasting. I believe that God's son, Jesus Christ, is God's son who came in the flesh. I believe Jesus Christ is 100% God. I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again for the dead. Faith is what we believe in, okay? Faith is believing on God, okay? Faith is what we believe in. You have to believe in something there. Faith is to trust completely. A missionary was over in in a foreign country, and he was translating the Bible into God's, and trying to translate the Bible into the language of those people. I mean, understand that, you know, we take things for granted in English, but some words that we use in the English language don't translate very well in certain foreign languages. And one of them was in this particular country. And he was thinking very, he had prayed over this for many weeks, and it got into months. He was thinking, I've got to finish translating this Bible, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just stuck because I don't know how to translate the word faith that these people would understand it. And one day while he was sitting outside, he was sitting on a, on a make shift chair that he had made and was sitting there and he had another chair next to him that his wife normally sat in but his wife wasn't there she was ministering to some of the ladies and one of the men of the village was out hunting with several other men and they spent the whole morning out hunting they got up right before the sun came up and they were they came back and they had their game and it was a, it was a very long trek they made somewhere out there to go find the game and they brought all this game and food back to feed the village and the, the lead on that the lead man in that group came next to the missionary and he popped himself right under the seat next to the missionary as he sat down, he went like this, oh, this feels so good. I, it feels so good to rest all my weight upon this chair. And as that man said that, immediately in the missionary's mind, a light bulb went on. He says, that's the word I'll use. I'll use the word in this language that means to rest all my weight upon. Now, listen this morning. Everybody here is sitting on a chair. You had faith to sit on that chair. You had faith to believe that that chair wouldn't break under you. You had faith to believe that, 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 the, that, the, soft, that the seat would be soft. You had faith to believe that the lights would be on in here. You had faith to believe that, that this church would have a service today. Everyone exercises some form of faith. But faith in the Bible is when we rest all of our weight upon a person. We rest all of our weight upon a belief. Faith is to trust completely. Faith is to trust unreservedly. Hey, faith is when we believe the incredible. Faith is when we see the invisible. Faith is when we're motivated to do the impossible. Faith will entail risk-taking. Notice again, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Faith will be stretched to the limit. The Bible says in verse 1, Hebrews 11:1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In Hebrews 11:1, 1, Kenneth Weiss, who was a great Bible scholar who taught at Moody Bible Institute for many, many years, he translated the word evidence as saying this. It means this. It is the title deed of faith. He calls it the title deed of faith. Now, if you own property, you know how important it is to have a title deed because a title deed certifies that you own the property. It has all the, the different title uh, uh, things that go with that that shows the boundary lines and all that. But it's important to have that title deed because it defines you as the owner of that property. And faith, if you would, is the evidence of things not seen. It's the title deed of faith. So the idea of faith is realizing we rest all our weight upon God. We rest all of our, our weight upon what we believe in. But notice as we think about this priority, think about the imperative of faith. There's the idea of faith, but the imperative of faith. Would you notice verse 6 again? He says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Please understand this brother and sister in Christ and friend here today, if we don't exercise faith, 
We don't please God. God is not pleased. God is not honored. God is not glorified. God is not pleased with a faithless life. God is not pleased with unbelief. God is not pleased with doubting in our hearts. And if you understand the context of the book of Hebrews, chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews, he deals with the doubting heart and unbelief and, 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 uh, and, and things of that nature. And as he works his way to chapter 11, in chapter 10 he tells us we walk by faith and not by sight. And he says the just shall live by faith. In other words, the just being everyone who has has received Jesus Christ as personal Savior, our walk must be one of faith. And so in writing Hebrews chapter 11, we understand something here. Faith is an imperative. The imperative of faith is that we must have faith. Now think with me for a minute here. Without faith, look at Hebrews 11. Without faith, Noah could not have built the ark. Without faith, Enoch could not have walked with God. Without faith, Joseph wouldn't survive, have survived all the difficulties he went through. Without faith, Moses would not have become the deliverer of all the Israelites. Without faith, Moses and the Israelites could not have crossed the Red Sea. Hey, without faith, Abraham would not have received the promised son. Without faith, uh, uh, Abraham's wife Sarah in her old age could not have conceived that son, the promised son. Without faith, Joshua would not have seen the walls of Jericho to come down. Without faith, Rahab would not have gotten saved. I mean, you can go on and on in this passage of Scripture. Without faith, there are things in the Bible would not have occurred. I mean, you take out, if you take out all these people in the Bible, we'd have a very thinned out Bible because those people were men and women of faith. May I say to you this morning, it's important that we have faith. Faith is a central priority. But let me bring it down to home. Without faith, Heritage Baptist Church wouldn't be in existence. Without faith, you can't get saved. Without faith, prayer cannot be answered. Without faith, these buildings would not have gone up. Without faith, the money that was raised to pay off this building and the money that's been raised to help us get in that building would not have happened. Hey, without faith, back in 2002, that small core of people that stepped out in faith to buy this property, that would not have happened except there had been faith. And there have been incremental times from the very get-go of the church where we've had to exercise faith. Many of you here are, are products of answers to prayer because somebody prayed for you. Somebody prayed for your salvation. And there came a point in time when you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You are a product of faith. May I tell you this morning, without faith, all these things can't happen. By the way, without faith, we can't go on in the future. Without faith, we can't see more souls saved. Without faith, we can't get churches planted. Without faith, we can't see more mysteries going out. Without faith, this world is not going to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And without faith, we're not going to fill up that Berean center. Without faith, we're not going to get this whole room filled. Hey, my envisionment is here in the future is we get this whole room filled up for one service and we can go to two services there so we can get, uh, get another service filled up with people. I'm saying without faith, there are things that just don't happen. Without faith, there's no progress in the Christian life. Without faith, you can't grow. Without faith, you're not going to be stretched. Without faith, you're not going to please God. I understand this morning, we must have faith in God. It's an essential priority. It's an essential priority. Yesterday, uh, I was thankful that Brother Rich could go up uh, he met me up at the, this men's meeting that I preached at there, and it was a good turnout of meeting. A man, about 150, 200 men from various, various many churches there. And the sponsor for it, the evangelist, Brother Tim Schmidt, and I got together for prayer early on Saturday morning, and the men had breakfast. We got together for prayer, and he says, Do you have any? He said, Brother Fong, do you have anything you want to, you want to encourage me with? I said, I do. Because I looked out there, and I'm not being, don't take this in a critical way, but I looked out there as I got there, and there was a sea of gray heads there. And I'm not against gray heads and all that kind of stuff, but I said, Where are the young men? 
I said, man, I'm thinking about the future of this thing. Because whenever, whenever I go in summer, I'm thinking about, okay, what's there? And I'm looking beyond all that. Every time I go to deacons meetings, I meet with our men, and we talk about things. I'm thinking about what we're going to do for the future. I'm thinking our staff meetings, what we're going to do for the future. I come to church, I'm making notes. I was taking all these notes of things I, I saw that was going on in these other churches. And, and I, told, I told Brother Schmidt, I said, now, Brother Schmidt, he said, what do you want? Yeah, I said, now, here's what I'm going to give you encouragement, man. I said, you don't have to invite me back, but, but I said, you know, I want to encourage you that you really encourage these churches that attend to bring their young men, to get a lot of young men here because it's more encouraging to me to see a lot more a balance of young men as well as older men. Thank God for these older men. But the older men, they're eventually, they're just going to be at a place where they're not going to be able to attend. And I said, where's the sustainability in this ministry? And I'm saying to you today, we must have faith. We must have faith we're going to have a future. We must have faith that we're going to build our families. We must have faith that God's going to take care of us. We must have faith. Hey, listen today. Do you have faith? Do you have faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please them. We see an essential priority. Number two. Number two. But you notice in chapter 12, which you notice the encouraging people. Wherefore, he's taking us back to chapter, chapter 11. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed. In other words, we are encircled. The idea there is, is, a, is a grandstand. The idea there, which the Olympic race, races, which were very prominent in the Grecian culture. A grandstand of people sitting in this grandstand, waiting for the marathon runners who run about to make their way back into the end, inside the inside the stadium. People that have come to see who started, and people have come to see who's going to finish. People have come to see who started, and people have come to see who's going to finish. That's important. Lisa trains. Runners to do 100-mile races up in Lake Tahoe. And she, like the many other trainers, are concerned and worried through the night of runners who don't make it. Because everyone who enters, they want to make sure they've done the proper training, they have the proper fitness, they've had the right diet. Because when they go on that 100-mile race, it's grueling. I mean, it, it's, it's grueling. And it's at night. I don't know about you, I wouldn't run it just because I wouldn't want to run into a black bear. Amen? You know, I just know me, I'd run into a black bear, okay? And I don't want to be, I'm for black bear diner, I just don't be, want to be part of the black bear diet. Amen? You know? And so, uh, just one of those things like that. And so, but she gets these people, and it's a relief to them that the people who started are also people that have finished. And I want you to notice here, Paul is writing to believers, these, Jew, these Jewish believers, Hebrew believers, who if you understand the context of the book of Hebrews, they are discouraged because they, are, they, did not, they were not very mature in the faith, and these Jewish uh, teachers came to him who were not saved, and these Jewish teachers were telling them, you needed to add the law to grace. You needed to continue doing good works to go to heaven. And they were totally being oblivious to, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, which tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. And all that means is this. Listen, everybody needs to get saved. God wants everybody to go to heaven. But your good works and your efforts will not get you to heaven because you're saved by grace. Grace is the fact that God loves you. Before you can love God, you must 
must understand that God loves you. We love him because he first loved us. Amen? And so he loved us and he gave his son to die for us. 1 John 4.10 says, Jesus Christ is the propitiation. In other words, he took your place in mine. He died for your sins in mine so that you can go to heaven. And that's my end goal, I prayed this morning, that if you're not sure you're saved, that before this service is over, that you receive Jesus Christ, your Savior, so that you can know you can go to heaven. And that's the exercising of faith, faith alone in Jesus. But he's writing to these believers here and they're just confused. And, and you read chapter 5 and you read about the fact that they were still like little babies in Jesus Christ. And, and he said, you know, you, there, the, time should, the time right now, you should be mature enough that you can instruct and teach others about the word of God, that you can demonstrate that you have a faith that's grounded, but you're not at that place. You're still, you're still kind of meandering around and you really don't know what's going on in your life. And you're, you're, you're asking more questions and things of that that you should have had answered a long time ago. And so he's, he's helping, encouraging them. And now he, as he's giving them much instruction in the first 10 chapters and he's helped them to grow in the faith, now he takes them to chapter 11. In chapter 11, he reminds them about this great company of people. He talks about this encouraging people. And these encouraging people that Hebrews 12 talks about is everyone listed here in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's go with it. Go back with me to Hebrews 11. Let's go look at it real quickly again. In Hebrews 11, I'm going quickly, you can just check mark some things. The first mention of a man of faith is a man by the name of Abel. Abel encourages us about faith. And he said, the Bible says, he offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Hey, listen, Abel was a man of faith because even though his brother was against his offering, he, he did what was right before God. And the Bible says, God testifying of his gifts. Abel is a man who represented faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the shed blood of an innocent victim for his sins. We go down and we see Enoch. Enoch at the age of 16. Had a son that was born. Something about having that child that was born changed his life. I don't know about you, but when it, when you're a young couple and you have your firstborn child, that should change your life. That should make you understand you need to settle down. That should make you understand you are entrusted with a little life there, and that should make you understand that little life is more than just about you and having fun. It's about raising those children for the glory of God. And Enoch got very serious with God, and he he decided. The Bible says from that point on, Enoch walked with God, and he walked with God until he attained 365 years of age. He he walked continuously, consecutively, and consistently for 365 years. And God saw that as Enoch was making that walk, Enoch was not getting farther with God. Enoch was getting closer to God. The more he walked with God, the closer he got with God. Let me tell you something. You start your year, you start your day walking with God. And may I encourage you, you don't want to walk just, just walk along. You want to walk to God. You want to get closer to God. And God saw that Enoch was getting so close to him. He said, you know, son, I'm just going to take you home right now. And the Bible says Enoch was raptured. He was taken up. The Bible says he was trained. Translated. In other words, he was taken up by God. He was so close to God, God said, it's time, son, I'm just going to bring you up to, to, to be with me. Enoch was a man of faith. We read about Noah was a man of faith. Noah was called of God to build an ark. Now, an ark... The ark was a big shipping vessel that was three football fields long, if you can imagine that. Three football fields long. And he was to take two of every kind of every animal to put on that, on that ship there and so forth there. But that ship, that ship was designed for the saving of his, for his family. And the only people that, that, that listened to Noah as he preached for 100 years was just his own family. And the Bible says God saw that nobody else listened to old Noah. And so God said to Noah, he said, come thou and all thy house into the ark. And then as soon as Noah's family got in there, God shut the door. Nobody else could come in. But Noah had faith. He had faith to believe that that ark was for the saving of his house. May I tell you something? The ark is a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. You must believe on the Savior who died on that cross in order to have your sins forgiven, in order to be saved. Noah had faith in the ark. Abraham had faith in a son that God said he would give him at his old age. Can you imagine this? Abraham was 100 years old and his wife 90. They waited 25 years for the consummation of that promise. But God blessed their bodies. And God said their bodies 
bodies were as good as dead. Physically, it was impossible for them to have children. Now, in this day and age, if you're 100 and you're 90, you shouldn't want to have children. Amen? You know? (laughs) But at that time, God said, I'm going to bless you, and you'll have a godly seed. They'll be like the sand on the seashore, like the stars in heaven. Abraham's the father of the Hebrew race. He had faith in what God saw for a people. We move down from Abraham, and we see a man by the name of Moses. We go down from Moses, and we see, we see, we see a man. His name is not mentioned, but we have the reference to Joshua. We see a woman by the name of Rahab. Look at verse 32. We get to verse 32, and the Bible tells us about a man by the name of Gideon. And Gideon had a small little army of 300 men. And they had to take on 100,000 Midianite soldiers. And God used that little army to accomplish his purpose. And there was a man by the name of Barak, and a man by the name of Samson, and a man by the name of Jephthah, and a man by the name of David, and a man by the name of Samuel. And to those of you who know your Bibles, you know all about those men. And we have, we have two categories here. Watch this. We have men that are named and their deeds. And then we get to chapter 11, and notice verse 33, we have deeds that are mentioned without the names. And would you notice these deeds that are mentioned without the names, they should inspire us about faith, because here are some of the things that it says. Would you notice verse 33? Are you there? Say amen. Who through faith subdued kingdoms. Do you know what that means? Through faith, God overcame hostile governments. Through faith, God changed impossible legislation. Who through faith, they subdued kingdoms. They wrought righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. There was more than one man that experienced that. They quenched the violence of fire. That's talking about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew young men that were cast into the fire. But they weren't in the fire by themselves because when the king looked inside there, I, didn't we throw three men there? They, he said, they said, yes. Well, how come I see a fourth one and he looks like the son of man? Hey, aren't you glad this morning? Any fire you're in, Jesus is always with you. He says, the Bible says that they catch the violence of the fire. They escape the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Let me repeat that again. Out of weakness they were made strong. Listen, those of you going through physical infirmity, you just trust God. Out of weakness he'll make you strong. Those of you who've got your back against the wall and you feel like you can't make it, out of weakness he'll make you strong. Notice he says this, he waxed, they wax valiant in flight, in fight. They turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might might obtain a better resurrection. Hey, you read all these things there, and there's no names mentioned, but the fact is, these were men and women that exercised faith in a great God. They recognized today that, these, that God was able. Now notice this. These people are all dead. The Bible says something about them. It says in verse 39, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith. Now that's important. These all obtained a good report through faith. Listen, if you want a good report with God, you must exercise faith. You must be a man of faith. You must be a woman of faith. But I want to tell you, We had some predecessors. We had some forefathers. We have some ancestors who obtained a good report by faith. They exercised faith. They believed that God could quench the fire. They could believe they could escape the sword. They believed they could work righteousness. They believed that with God, little is much when God is in it. They believed that God could do those things. They believed that God could open the Red Sea. They believed that God could topple the walls of Jericho. They believed, little David believed, that with one stone he could defeat the giant Goliath, and he did. I mean, we could go on and on and on. We have many examples of faith that are mentioned with 
without the names. But here's what God wants you and I to understand. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But these people did it. They exercised faith. And God gave them to us so that you and I could also exercise faith. We have this encouraging group of people. Look at their example. They took risks. Look at their example. They did the unimaginable. Look at their example. They did the impossible. Look at their example. They overcame. Look at their example. They waited. Look at their example. They suffered. Look at their, look at their example. They endured. Look at their example. Some of them even died. But they obtained a good report. Amen? Amen. But notice something else. We see their encouragement. They're a cloud of witnesses. They're in heaven testifying to you and I. They went through the same hardships, but they exercised faith. You know what they encourage you and I to do? They encourage you and I to stay. Don't be a quitter. Stay. The devil's talking to you to leave church. He's saying, well, it's not working out. Stay in church. Devil's working your mind. Stop reading your Bible. Stay in your Bible. If that was where your mind, I'm going to leave my family, stay in your family. Listen, they encourage us to stay. Hey, the second, they encourage us to stand. Man, Moses took a stand. By faith, he forsook Egypt, seeing him who was invisible. By faith, Abraham didn't know what country he was going to, but he knew he was searching for a better country whose builder and maker is God. And people were laughing at Abraham. They said, look at that old man, and look at that old woman there, 100 years old and 90. They think they're going to have children. That's, that's so ludicrous. And the Bible describes that their bodies were as good as dead. But God blessed, and God gave them that promised son. They encourage us to stay. They encourage us to stand. They encourage us to strive. They kept on going. Daniel kept going, Joshua kept going, David kept going, Elijah kept going. Elijah went through the, through, through the, the darkness of depression and discouragement, but he kept on going. Elijah kept on going. And, that's, and we can go through character after character of the Bible. They kept on going. And I'm reminded today, they just, they were up there, they're there. They're, they're not here with us, but they're, they're a cloud of witnesses. They're in heaven. And they testified by the works. I'm reminded this morning of the Apostle Paul on his first missionary trip. On his first missionary trip, the Apostle Paul was there at Lystra and Derby, and uh, God used him to perform a great miracle on a man who had been lame from his mother's birth. And the Bible says that man was able to walk and leap and run uh, at, at Paul's command, and the man got converted and saved, and God turned his life around. But those same people that were rejoicing over that later on were agitated and stirred up by people who hated Paul. And they stirred up to these people to say, Paul's a bad guy and Paul's a charlatan. And they took stones in their hands and they took Paul and they stoned him and they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. And the Bible says something very interesting about a cloud of witnesses circling Paul. The Bible says that it says around Paul were all the disciples. Standing around Paul were all the disciples. And I believe at that time there was just a small group of disciples. Some of the new believers that got saved at Lystra and Derby, but included with that was young Timothy. Included with that was Lois and Eunice. Included with that was Barnabas. And I imagine that group of people standing around Paul, and they said, come on, Paul, you can get up. And they were looking at this apostle who had the stones thrown at him. They thought he was dead. His breathing was very shallow. He had blood coming out of his head. He had broken bones. His face probably was turned out of shape. I mean, they pummeled him with big, big stones and took him down, and they thought he was dead, but they kept encouraging him, come on, Paul, you can get up. Come on, Paul, you can get up. Come on, Paul, you can get up. And I remind you today, we have these encouraging group of people, though they're not grandstanding, and though they're not applauding us, and though they may, you can't really say that they're cheering us on. 
by their life example, they are testifying to you and I that if they can do it, if Samson can make it, if David can make it, if Daniel could make it, if Elijah could make it, if those men of God can make it, you can make it. You can go on and you can serve God and you can exercise faith. Listen, faith is not just for 2,000 years ago. Faith is for right now for you and I to live for God. He's encouraging people. I'm saying to you today, you think about, man, I wish I had that kind of faith. You can't have that kind of faith. And thirdly, would you notice the exhorted performance? Paul tells us about the essential priority. We've got to exercise faith. Paul tells us about this encouraging people. Now Paul turns his attention back to these believers and you and I. How are we going to exercise this kind of faith? We've got the pattern that we've got this group of people in heaven that have already done it. They've proven to us you can't exercise faith in difficult times. They demonstrated the economies do not affect the exercise of faith. They demonstrated regardless of the government you're under, it doesn't affect the exercise of faith. They demonstrated no matter how hostile your society may be, it doesn't affect the exercise of faith. But these believers Paul is writing to, remember, they're discouraged. They're just getting back to growing in the faith, and they're, they're just people that some of them were ready to throw in the towel. And Paul is saying, don't throw in the towel. You've got to, we walk by faith and not by sight. And so now Paul exhorts them, notice in verse 1, he exhorts them about how to live out this faith. How do we exercise this faith? And he speaks to them, and he exhorts them concerning their performance. He exhorts them about their life. Now listen, all the preaching that goes on at Heritage Baptist Church is of no use if you don't do something with it. We must be doers of the word and not hearers only. All the preaching you hear and all the teaching you hear, you young people, you get it on Friday nights here in our club meetings, and you get good preaching in our club meetings, and you get good Bible studies in our club meetings, and you get the Bible on Wednesday nights, and you get the Bible on Sunday mornings, and you get the Bible in our growth group hours, and our Sunday school hours, and you get the Bible on Sunday night. You'll be here tonight for Sunday night. I'm preaching a message. I'm excited about it. Psalms 131, the soul of a weaned child. Man, it's going to bless your heart when you get into the study with me tonight. But listen, you get the Bible. There comes a time and place. It's good to receive it, but we've got to get it out. You got to put it to use. And so Paul is saying, let me tell you what the steps are to doing that. And so what you notice, some things he tells us in chapter 12, verse 1. Notice, first of all, there's a crucial relinquishment. As you prepare for the race, you've got to think about, are you ready to run this race? There must be a relinquishment. And Paul starts off in verse 1, if you'll notice here, he says, let us, and by the way, he's not just saying let, he didn't say let you, let us. He says, I'm in this too. Let us lay aside every weight. Now, the essential to running long distance, you don't want to be carrying a lot of weight. Am I right, Lisa? Okay. You don't want, you don't want to, so, and that's why the, 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 the uh, clothing manufacturer, athletic clothing manufacturer, have thought through over the years of athletic apparel that, that, that runners can put on that, that can keep them modest to some degree, and they can run, and uh, it doesn't weigh them down, okay? And he's talking about things that weigh us down. Now, what are, he says, let us lay aside, notice this, every weight. I don't like those two words, under every weight. He's talking about the burdensome struggles of life. We all have struggles. We all have weights. Now, some of us like to run. 
And some of us like to lift weights. I try to do a combination of both. You need to do lift weight. And you need to do, do, do some of that to build some muscle mass to keep you from losing muscle mass. You want to do a little bit so you have your strength. You can keep going on and build your endurance there. And he's saying, but on this case, he says, we need to lay aside every weight. In other words, he's talking about in a race, you're not going to carry two 30-pound dumbbells and run that race. Amen? He's saying you're not going to wear ankle weights when you run this race. You've got you to put aside every weight, whatever it is that's weighing you down. And he's talking about the burdensome struggles of life. Now, let me give you some examples of those burdensome struggles. Did you know a negative or pessimistic outlook in life is a burdensome struggle? Did you know stress related to events going on in your life is a burdensome struggle? Did you know sorrows can be a weight that's a burdensome struggle? Did you know hurt from past relationships can be a burdensome struggle? Did you know financial burdens can be a burdensome struggle? Did you know emotional upheaval in your life can, be, uh, can, be, can, be, can, can weigh you down? Did you know if, we are, if we're, we're in upheaval because of bitterness, or we're in upheaval because there's envy or jealousies or people problems, that can weigh us down? If you have health struggles, that can be a burdensome struggle. If you have family issues, that can be a burdensome struggle. If you have sleepless nights, that can be a burdensome struggle. I, all I'm saying tonight, this morning, is Paul said this, listen, we've got to lay aside every weight. Now, you've got to identify the weights. What are you carrying? What's the baggage you're carrying this keeping from running the race. You get on a plane, and they gave you the safety precautions. They say in the event that the plane goes down, they tell you, leave your luggage and everything aside. Leave it here. You don't need it when you, to get off that plane. And I'm going to tell you, one of the greatest hindrances, the exercise of faith, is every weight that's holding us down. It's holding you down. A bad spirit holds you down. Living under the, the dark cloud of discouragement will weigh you down. There's the besetting weights. There, there are the, the burdens and struggles. But notice, secondly, the besetting sins. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin the sin, which does so easily beset us. There's the burdens and struggles, but those are the besetting sins. Now, what is a besetting sin? They are the sins that keep on defeating you. They are the sins that keep blindsiding you. They are the sins that encircle you and thwart your efforts to succeed. Everybody's got a besetting sin. Slay aside the besetting sin, lying, unforgiveness, pride, boasting, laziness, evil thoughts, lust, gossip, unbelief. I mean, you know what it is. You know what it is. Besetting sins. And here's what's going on. We are runners getting ready to run a long-distance race. We're getting ready to do a marathon, but we've got these besetting sins keeping us from getting it done. We've got these weights that are holding us down. I mean, Paul is writing to them here, and he says, listen, I'm exhorting your performance. You've got to consider your life that there's a crucial relinquishment. Now, before the service is over, one of the best things we could do this morning as a Christian is to lay aside the weights and the sins which are easily besetting us. So we see this morning the crucial relinquishment. But notice here, secondly, go back to verse 1 and 2. We see the crucial relinquishment, but quickly notice the contestants race. Lay aside the weight, but then he says, let us run. Run. He didn't say walk. He said run. 
Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Run your race. We're in a contestant's race. Let's run because we're supposed to. Let's run because Jesus Christ is the goal. Let's run and win over sin. Let's run and read our Bibles through for the remainder of 2019. Let's run in our prayer lives. Let's run in the faith journey. Let's run to win. We must run. He says we need to run with patience. Understand that good long distance runners, they realize they've got to be patient. They can't let the mental fatigue wear them down. They've got to patiently just keep prodding themselves and moving along and moving along and moving along. We're in a long distance race. We're in the race to finish. Paul said, I have kept the case. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. He said, I finished the race. Now, whether you like running or not, we're all in this race together. And Paul said, we must run the race. We're in a contestant's race. We're in a race to win. You can't get distracted. You can't stop. You can't let something distract you. You've got to keep on running this race. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, why does he use the analogy of a race? Because in, a, in faith, with the, with, the, with the matter of faith, faith, we're exercising faith in this race. We understand that we're going forward for Jesus Christ. As we go forward for Jesus Christ, we continue to exercise faith. Let me tell you something today. We're not done exercising faith at Heritage Baptist Church. We're not done exercising faith as far as expansion. We're not done exercising faith as far as faith promise commitments. We're not done exercising faith and praying for God to call men to the ministry. We're not done exercising faith and seeking to save that which is lost. We've got to keep exercising faith. And whether we're young or old, God calls us to run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, when you start running, when you've never run and you're out of shape, you know what you've got to do? You've got to start very slowly you're going to tear something. And you've got to stop very slowly because if you don't start very slowly, you're going to get mentally fatigued. But as you get into it and you're patiently working your way, you start gaining more momentum and you start gaining more strength and your muscles start to get a little bit firmer and you're starting to not get as less winded and you're becoming stronger at it. And God wants you and I to enlist in this race and get involved in the race and be at the starting point. And when you hear the crack of the gun, go out and do something for God. I mean, exercise faith. Young people exercise faith in your school system. Adults exercise faith this coming week that God will help you to bring a guest or visitor to the Thanksgiving banquet. I'm just saying today, God is telling us we are in the contestants' race. We're running and racing to win and to finish this race. Now let me give you some thoughts here. Running with patience means we do not let little things annoy and slow us down. Running with patience means we do not get distracted with the runners ahead or behind us. Running with patience means we remain steadfast and unmovable Running with patience means that we will not let weariness make us quit. Running with patience means other runners might trip us up, but we keep on running the race. Amen? And so we see the priority. We see a people. We're exhorted about a performance as we close. We need to see one more thing and we're done. And I'll be quick. He's talking to these believers. They're thinking, okay, Paul, we understand the priority. Okay, Paul, we understand we have some ancestors. We have some, so we have some heroes of the faith that have, that have set a great example for us, and we, can, we, we, we get it. We get it. And, Paul, we understand this, that you're exhorting us to, we've got we've to make this relinquishment. We've got to lay aside the weights and the sins which easily beset us. We get it. And we understand today we're in a race, and so we've got to run this race with patience. They said, but Paul, Paul, but, to just, but those are all human. I mean, what do we do here? And so Paul doesn't end there, because notice in verses 2 and 3 as we close, Paul reminds us that we have an excellent pattern. He reminds us, listen now, you might be discouraged in your mind, and you might feel like you're going to quit, and you're going to feel like you're, you can't go on. But he says, you can't get your eyes just on people, and you can't get your eyes best on the past. And he said, definitely don't get your eyes on me. What we've got to do is get our eyes on an excellent model, an excellent example, an excellent pattern. 
pattern. And I want to declare to you this morning, brother and sister in Christ and friend of day, that excellent motto and pattern is Jesus Christ our Lord. Looking unto Jesus. He's the goal. He's the target. Amen. Look into Jesus. Notice the things he tells us about Jesus. Listen, if you're going to win the race, if you're going to stay in the race, you've got to keep your eyes on the Lord. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get sidetracked by something that goes on the side. Listen, just get your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and say today, I'm going to run this race and finish it to the glory of God. Then why do we need to look to Jesus? Number one, because he's our captain. Looking into Jesus, notice the author. There are three times in the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ is called the captain. That means he's the leader. He's the forerunner. He's the one that got it done, amen? He's our captain. He's in charge. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the good shepherd that loves you and I. He's the chief shepherd and bishop of our soul. Looking into Jesus, he's the author. He is our captain, but he's more than just our captain. Notice, secondly, we look, he says, look into Jesus, the author. Notice, he is the finisher. Jesus Christ, not only our captain, he's our completer. Hey, did you know Jesus finished his race? Amen? What was his race? He came to earth to die for your sins and mine. Look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Notice this, who for the joy that was set before him. Now, anybody that tells me running is fun, I disagree with that. It is not fun. It's a necessity. For me, it's a necessary evil for me, okay? I just, you got to do it to, for your cardio, but you have to get to a certain point where you enjoy it. You know what, for Jesus, going to the cross, suffering for our sins, shedding his blood, the horrific pain he went through, the shame and embarrassment, he had joy in his heart when he did it. He is our completer. He finished his race. He cried out, it is finished, and all the sin debt that we always paid in full. Jesus Christ is our captain. Jesus Christ is our completer. Notice Jesus Christ on the cross. He endured the cross. He despised its shame. Jesus didn't come to die by hanging. And Jesus didn't come to die by a heart attack. And Jesus didn't die to be thrust through with a spear. He came to die on the cross for your sins and mine. He endured the suffering and the shame. The cross. If you're here this morning and do not know Jesus Christ, your Savior, I want to tell you, Christ died on that cross for your sins. But we look to Jesus not just because he's our captain, not just because he's our completer, not just because of the cross. We look to Jesus because of his capacity. Would you notice verse 3? It says he endured such contradiction of sinners. Would you notice verse 2? He endured the cross. Endurance means he didn't quit. He didn't let his feelings get hurt. He didn't become angry with the people that hurt him. You're going to have to find out along the way that there are things that are just going to anger you and things that get you upset. You'll want to throw in the towel and quit. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and keep on going. It's because of his capacity. And listen, why did Paul say all this? Because he's our excellent pattern. And then we look at Jesus Christ. Notice verse, verse 3. Because of his consummation. When he finished all this in verse 2, he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. He finished his work. He got it done. He made the accomplishment 
And so Paul says, listen, he's our excellent pattern. And he says, consider him which endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. In other words, he says, listen, everybody was against him. Nobody was for him, but he endured. And he said, now consider Jesus. Look to him as your example. He says, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Because he said, you know what? You're going to get tired of living for Christ. And you're going to get tired of exercising faith. And you're going to get tired of trying to live for God. And you're going to get tired of praying. And you're going to get tired of trying to be victorious. And you're going to get tired of coming to church. And you're going to get tired of being preached to. And you're going to get tired of giving the offering. But he says, consider him which endured such contradiction as sinners. Consider he had joy in what he did. Consider he did that, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. He says, when you think you're going to quit, when you think you're going to stop, when you think it's all done for, look to Jesus Christ and say, listen, my Savior made it. My Savior got it done. My Savior went all the way. And if he could do it, so can I. Look to Jesus because he's your king. He sat down. At the right hand of God. The nineteen sixty eight Olympics. Tanzania sent one of their famous runners, in fact, the most famous runner in their country. His name was John Akwari. Incredible runner. In fact, our missionary in Tanzania, Jerry Wyatt interviewed the man, and he made a profession of his faith in Jesus Christ. We have a picture in our archive somewhere of him interviewing John Akwari. John Akwari represented Tanzania in their race. It was a long marathon, but somewhere along the way, in the early stage of the race, he got tangled up with another runner. They were moving so hard and fast, they tumbled down. They both got injured. John got the worst of it. He was injured very badly, bad enough that he couldn't move on both legs. That stadium that saw these men leave was filled to capacity and beyond that with people. Word got out that John Aguari got injured, and they, he was the favorite to win that race. And long after many of the other runners had finished, there were some people that came to cheer John Aguari on. They stayed. They stayed in that stadium. They waited as the sun hit its peak and started to set. And soon they saw a figure limping along the way very slowly. And as they got to see his face, the grimace on his face from the incredible pain, the injuries he sustained from running. And amazingly, people had told John Aquari along the way, John, you don't have to do this. John, it's okay. You don't have to do it. You're injured very bad. You need, we need to get you to the hospital and get you fixed up. And he, he just kept on going. He ignored everything they were saying. And John Aquari made his way in. And he made his way slowly, though painfully, across that finish line. And as he did so, those remaining stragglers that were in the grandstand, they applauded and cheered him on because a man who was injured and burdened and broken and bleeding made his way there. Reporters streamed to John Aquari, and they put those microphones next to him, and they said, hey, why did you do this? Why did you do this? You could have, you could have just, it would have been okay. And John Aquari made this statement that's so famous. He said, my country did not send me here to start. My country sent me here to finish. And I remind you this morning, God saved you not just to start. God saved you to finish. 
God save you to finish that race, to consider him which endured such contradiction sinners, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. I'm talking to Christians this morning. You may be thinking about quitting and run, getting out. I'm encouraging you to stay in that race or even just get in the race and start running for God. Thank God for so great a cloud of witnesses. And this morning, if you're not sure you're saved, the best thing you could do this morning, best thing you could do, is with an open heart, with an open heart, exercise faith to calling God's Son, Jesus Christ, into your heart to being your Savior. Faith is exercised when we pray and ask Christ to save us from our sins. We repent of our sins and call on Him to save us. I'm going to give you an opportunity and show you how you can do that this morning, this service. For others of us here today who are regulars in the church, I encourage you this morning, stay in the race. Run that race. Think about those besetting sins. Think about those weights that are holding you down. Let them go and keep running with patience the race that is set before us.